Welcome to Testify It, where we are sharing the love of Christ and building people up through testimonies and teaching. Our passion is to share how God is working in people's lives today. My name is Rhonda Wagner, and I'm a founder and board member at Testify It. The testimony we have for you today is from a great man of God, Mark Pastoria, who is full of love and laughter. Mark had to deal with something that no parent ever wants to deal with. While going through this, Mark might have gotten angry, but he never lost his faith in God. Hello, my name is David Briggs. I'm a board member with Testify It, and we are here today with Mark Pastoria. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hey, Dave. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Good. Great great to have you here. Uh, Mark is going to share his uh, story of... Uh, coming to Christ and how Christ has worked in his life, um, you know, since that time. Um, Mark, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about uh, childhood years, adolescence, and, and you know, your background, if you will. Sure. I, I grew up, and thanks for having me too, by the way. Um, I grew up in a small town in Brave, Pennsylvania, Green County. I get made fun of that quite a bit. Um, it was about 400 people and no stoplights in one store. So it was a really small town, but we had two churches in town. We had a Methodist Church, what I went to, and we typically would get a lot of people there, 15, 20 on a Sunday. That was a, that was a lot. And then, but the Assembly of God Church, just right up the road from where our Methodist Church was, would have 150 to 200 people every Sunday, and then they would have church on Sunday night. So my best friend would go, um, he was an Assemblies of God boy, and we were best buddies, and every, every Monday morning he would ask me, how many did you have at church today? And I go, uh, 10, 11, because we had 132. You ought to come. So he kept inviting me and kept inviting me. And finally, um, I was an athlete. I played sports growing, played sports growing up a lot. And I said, uh, sure, I'd love, you know, I'd, we were always hanging out doing that. And we had a church softball team. And so I started playing church softball for the Assemblies of God. And um, then I, there was a pastor there that I absolutely fell in love with. Because when I was growing up as a kid, um, my stepdad, who I just all the time tried to engage with, just was disengaged from me. Um, and I actually would have a baseball glove and I'd throw a ball up in the air and try to engage him to come out and play catch with me, but he just, he just never did. And he was just not affectionate with me. And, um, at nighttime, I'd always give him a kiss, but he never returned that or never hugged me. And for a boy my age, I, I really needed that in my life. And, um, this pastor from the first time he met me grabbed me and hugged me. And just said, man, it's so good to have you on that softball team. And I, I was in. I loved it. Started going to church, and I gave my heart and life to Christ when I was 16 years old. And so that was a beginning for me for being a Christ follower. And, um, and uh, was a Christ follower through college and married a Christ follower, Jennifer. And we've been married 25 years now. So we've had some ups and downs, and, um, but it's been good. Been good. Yes. That, that, amazing, amazing story. At sixteen to to find Christ. It's you know he's been with you with you most of your life. Yeah. So talk to me about um, you know sixteen moving forward. So you meet your wife. Um, you you're both Christ followers. You're living in, in in Christ. Tell me tell me about your journey then as you start to you know have a family and and you know uh, move forward in right. your life if you will. Of course, she was very lucky to find me. She'd been praying for me for a long time. <laughs> I'm totally kidding, but. Uh, I, I married up, definitely. And um, so we were married. Uh, we were older when we got married. I was 29 and she was 30. And we wanted kids right away. And so we had kids right away. Um, Tyler was our firstborn. 
and uh, it was going really well. We had a little issues with him initially, but he was going really well. And then we started noticing some things. He was having some respiratory problems, a little bit of respiratory problems. He, we had actually had an emergency. Um, we were at a wedding one evening and got a call from her mom and dad. And my Tyler almost choked on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that my mother-in-law had made. Now, she wasn't the greatest cook in the world, but that was a little ridiculous. But uh, that's the joke I'd always make with her. But... Um, but he almost he almost choked to death, and they did some they did some um, X-rays of his lungs, and there were some issues there with the lungs a little bit, and he'd been having some respiratory problems. We weren't sure what was going on, so um, it was uh, July fifteenth, nineteen ninety-eight. I was here in town in Pitts in Tra- Trafford, PA, in Harrison City, and I was doing a wedding for somebody, and my wife, my mother-in-law. And my Tyler went away to Cincinnati, Ohio, to a conference to try to figure out what was going on with Tyler. And I get a call on a Friday um, evening that Tyler had been rushed to the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. So he'd been rushed to the hospital, and she said, he's having respiratory problems, and uh, I don't know what's going on. My wife told me I didn't need to come. And, of course, Saturday after the wedding, my father-in-law and I got in a car. We went to Cincinnati, Ohio, and... uh, Got to the hospital about 10 o'clock. Um, I told my family, go ahead, go back to the hotel room, and I've got this. I'll be fine. I'll sleep in a, sleep in the room. No big deal. So um, they went away, and it's about 11 o'clock on July 15th, 1998. I look up, and my little boy had rolled over, and he was completely blue. He had respiratory arrested right there in the hospital room. So it was like a scene out of Grey's Anatomy or ER. The whole hospital practically emptied into the room. And, um, and I'm standing there crying because I knew it was serious. Um, and so I would, the doctors and the nurses were there, and they were asking me what was going on. And I just told him he, he just he went blue. And so it was a couple of hours later. I had to call everybody, tell my wife to come back to the hospital. We had a big emergency, Tyler respiratory arrested about three o'clock in that morning i'm in a room with a bunch of doctors and nurses and they're asking me to sign papers because they had to drill into his head and they told us that we think that he has a tumor that's pressing down on his brain stem and um we need to drill into his head to relieve the pressure and we needed to sign a thousand pieces of paper for them to do that and so as a parent as a christian all that, I mean, everything just slowed down around me. And it was just such a surreal moment. And I wish I could tell you that at that moment that I just knew God was with us and protecting us, but I was really, really mad and angry. I had been a Christian all this time. I had done all the right things, got married to the girl of my dreams, obviously, and waited till marriage to, you know, be, you know, be married and waited for all that. And then this has happened. I was really angry. Really, really angry. And um, to make a long story short, they operated on him. Um, They came back. He was in a coma for like seven days, but they told us that they got the tumor, but it was malignant. And he had cancer. And when I heard that word cancer, I got even more mad. And like I said, I wish I could tell you that I went out and had this wonderful, you know, hallelujah chorus moment and was you know praising jesus but that wasn't the case for me i was really really upset and for two months i mean for well for for a long time i was really upset and to continue the story we stayed in cincinnati ohio with the shirts on our back for three weeks 
And then we had to air ambulance him back to the intensive care unit in uh, Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. So we lived there for three months for 24-7. Um, there's lots of stories there, but I'm still fleshing out and working out my relationship with the Lord because I'm still really furious. So we stayed three months in Children's Hospital uh, 24-7, and then to bring him home, we had to build a room on our house to bring him home. So we've got all this already going on. But at the time in, in the late 90s, there was no facility that would take a fully um, compromised kids at the time. So we would have had to go to Philadelphia to live um, or build a room on our house. So we built a room on our house. And thank the Lord that it wasn't up to me to figure out how to build the room on the house because it would have been horrible. So... It would have been leaking, and it would have just been a disaster. But my father-in-law was phenomenal, and we approached um, Make-A-Wish. They wanted us to you know, go to Disney World or whatever. We said, we can't really do that. He's completely compromised on his back. We really need help in building a room on our house. So they brought the big guns in from Make-A-Wish. And at the time, we were learning that Make-A-Wish had been, you know, they'd been taken advantage of in a couple areas, and they just wanted to make sure our story was legit. So thankfully, they gave us money to buy the, lab buy the equipment and the wood and stuff, and then we provided the labor. So we built a room on our house in about three weeks, and then we ended up bringing him home October 28, 1998. Um, and my wife and I were completely, he was we had to completely take care of. Now, we were able to get nurses in the house, too. We had 16 hours of nurses a day. And then my wife and I took an eight-hour shift for almost eight months. And uh, during that time, I didn't work. I had just lost my job previously before he got sick. So I was having a really, really good year. And um, But we, I didn't work for 15 months. And But we took care of him. We saved his life a couple times. He was trached. Um, we had to build, almost have a pharmacy on our house because when it was our responsibility to take care of him, I mean take care of him, we had to get all pull the medications out of the bottles and the syringes and give the, give the medication right through his uh, tube in his stomach at certain times, three times on each shift. We had to suction his lungs, so that, remo that means removing the ventilator from him and suction his lungs really quickly and then putting that trach back in. And a couple times he turned blue on us a couple times, so we had to save his life a couple times. He popped his trach. You know, she was upstairs doing something. I was just watching TV, and he popped his trach, and all kinds of alarms are going off. It's just, honestly, Dave, it's just a surreal, the surreal moments. As parents, you just never think that you're going to have to go through this. And so there was one trip that we... We always had to go back to the children's hospital, get MRIs at different times. And, and this one trip, he went, he, they come in and got him and the ambulance took him. And my wife, Jennifer, went with him. And, um, my little Jordan at the time, we had another baby and he, he was with Jennifer. And I was at the house by myself. And remember, I, you know, it's been a while and I was still really angry and really fleshing out this whole, why us and why is this happening to my son? You can, you can pick on me, but not my innocent little boy, you know, mm -hmm. and I was just really fleshing, if that makes any sense or not. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I was in my house in McKeesport, and, every, and everybody was gone, and I just literally, I just remember the day I just had had enough, and I hit my knees, and I just wept for two hours. Just, I couldn't quit crying. And uh, 
the Lord just really, at that point, he, his peace was just so perfect. And the, and the chaos in my heart turned to calm. The storm clouds just broke. And there was such a peace there. And, um, and I can't explain it. Um, he didn't get mad at me for being mad at him because I, I just, I basically said to him, I, I know I haven't talked to you in a long time. I've been more angry with you, but you wanted me to be a friend or, and be close to you. So friends in my life, I get mad at it sometimes and I'm, I'm really upset with you. That's the conversation I basically had. And I just wept for two hours, but I come off my knees, Dave, and I was a different guy. Um, I felt stronger. I felt peace. There was a presence there that I hadn't felt in a long time. And, and God was always that right there with me. And the cool thing about loving Jesus is, um, I don't think he gets mad at us when we get a little upset with him. You know, that's, I don't know if you feel, understand what that mm-hmm, means. Sure. And that we can be real with him. And, um, I got up and I was just a different guy. Now the storm, didn't get any, I mean, he didn't get better or whatever, but I was better. I was better in the midst of the hurricane and the storm. And I was right in the eye of it. That's how I kind of see it too. Like the hurricane's still going on, but I was in the eye of it. And that's when you're in the eye of it, it's a really calm place. And that's how I felt. And, uh, and it affected everything with me because I was blaming and complaining and a, a lot during that time. You know, the doctors missed this because they did. They missed x-raying him from the they wait, they x-rayed him from the waist down for about two weeks when he quit walking on us. So I was mad at the, I was mad at the doctors. I was mad at the world until that day I come off my knees. And, and, and God gave me such confidence and peace that I was, we were, whatever happened, um, we were going to be okay. And, um, you know, and it takes me back to, and Moses in Exodus chapter 14, where the, you know, the people are coming out of, of, um, Egypt. And they're complaining right away. Things aren't going so well. You know, it looks like a good day for them after 430 years, but then all of a sudden it's, it's going south. And you know, the Lord just gets in front of me and says, guys, just, you know, stand still, stand firm. I'm going to deliver you here and I'm going to fight for you. You just need to keep still. And that's how I kind of felt through this whole time that I, the Lord was going to do my battles and I just needed to give up. You know, in that kind of situation. So, and there's lots, I don't know how much time we have, but there's lots and lots of stories, um, in the hospital. But one of the stories that I want to tell is, um, during that time, we had people in and out of our house the entire time and, and nurses come in and out of our house. But there was this, and there was this one nurse that came in our house. And I think I've told another friend of mine, Denny Highland, this story, but, she was always bringing these books into our house, and I didn't. Un- and there was kind of goofy symbols on them, and it was struck me as a little strange. So you know, me being the Christian father, I want to protect my family from you know what whatever that might be. But I just felt like the Lord just said to me, "Just relax, just just take it easy," because I could have picked up the phone and called our our home care company and asked for somebody else, and they would have given it to us. I mean, that's just how they mm-hmm. worked. So one day, her name was Diane. And we were, we were, um, suctioning my son's lungs. And I looked at her and I said, Diane, can I ask you a question? She said, yeah. And I said, can you tell me what those books are about that you bring in? I said, cause I know they have got really interesting symbols. And I said, can you, what are you reading? And she goes, they're about Buddhism. And me being the deep biblical scholar that I am, I said, really? Wow. 
So that was my extent of my really intelligent response. So uh, after many years of being a Christian, that's all I could come up with. I said, wow. But what else I did was I started tearing up a little bit because I just knew that God just did not want us to move her out of that house. And then all of a sudden I knew why. And I said, well, tell me a little more about that. Unpack that, unpack that loneliness piece for me. And she goes, I'm just, I need friends and I'm lonely. I just, I'm very, very lonely and these books have helped. She goes, can I ask you a question? I go, sure. She goes, what are those goofy songs that your son, my son was for, that your goofy songs that your son is listening to all the time? Well, she goes, they're like vegetables and they're dancing all around and all that and singing songs. I go, oh, you mean veggie tales. She goes, I cannot get those songs out of my head. And so we had this interesting conversation about what that meant and what my son was listening to, but it gets better. It wasn't two weeks later that the Columbine funeral was on TV. And I don't know if you remember that whole scene, but mm -hmm. there was a girl that was a Christian that ended up getting killed. Um, and there's been movies and books written about her at the very end because she said, yes, she believed in Jesus. Well, back in the days and back in the 90s, a lot of churches would do human videos. I don't know if you remember those days. I think I'm old enough to remember that. I'm a pretty old guy. But um, So Diana's watching this this whole funeral, and she watches this human video, and it was about Jesus dying on the cross. And this is the question she asked me. She goes, she just looked at me, and she said to me, she goes, did Jesus really die that way? Now, again, not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know, but I thought for a minute that might be an open door to share the greatest story ever told. And so I just took a few minutes and just told her, told her about Jesus and our story and what Jesus has done in my life. And I told him that he, you know, he could be Lord of her life too. And we had this awesome conversation. And, um, now she didn't hit her knees or didn't ask to, you know, to be a Christ follower at that point, but I just felt like I needed to plant the seed. And it wasn't much longer after that. I'm going shopping for my wife at Casual Corner. I know that's pretty funny back in South Hillsville. Not South Hillsville, Century 3, but that's, that's an old store to Casual Corner. But, I'm, you know, and I'm going shopping for, like any good guy does for your wife for Christmas, you're going shopping at December 24th at 6 o'clock at night. So, you know, I'm, I'm well prepared. I'm, I'm, I'm prepped. And I go in there to Casual Corner, and long and behold, I see a girl in there that my wife and I knew when we were involved in ministry over in Elizabeth, PA. And I knew her backstory, and she had actually had had an affair. She was a young girl and had an affair on a really good friend of mine. They were married. And um, and so we would see her after she'd had that affair, her marriage broke up. We'd see her different places. And when Jen and I would approach, she would always kind of kowtow towards us, like she would duck us or try to get away from us, like some people do around me when they see me coming anywhere, grocery store, at Cornerstone, oh, here comes Mark, you know, and they're, they're dodging me. But uh, but I finally got up to her, and, I, and, I, and I'm and and I I not going to use her, I'll just say it was, just say Sherry. And I said, Sherry, how are you doing? She goes, Mark, I haven't seen you in a long time. She goes, what's going on in your life? So I told her about Tyler. And she starts crying. And then all of a sudden, guys, and it's just part of trying to be obedient. I just felt the Holy Spirit, just, just a sweet, just something soft in my heart saying, you need to, 
You need to tell her something. I'm, you know, and I'm going, I'm just here to shop at Casual Corner. I'm, it's six, it's, you know, it's seven o'clock at night, Christmas Eve. I've got to really go. You know, I'm having this, you know, I'm having this conversation and stuff like that. But no, and I and I just, just, I was having this little bit of a battle with the Lord going, I just, so finally I gave up. And I just looked at her after this conversation. She's crying about my time. I said, can I tell you something, Sherry? And she goes, well, yeah. And she, I go, I just want you to know that God's not done with you. I know your story. And you know I know your story. But God still loves you. And he's not done with you. So you don't have to live in shame for the rest of your life. And just like that, and I'm pouring the tears. And she starts weeping. And so we leave, and I ended up getting a couple very nice dresses for my wife, I might add, too, there, casual corner. But I'm driving up the hill, and I tell you that story to tell you, I'm driving up the hill from Century 3 Mall, and it doesn't happen very often, and, it, and, and I wish it happened more often. But I just felt this sweet, just like the Holy Spirit just dropped this into my heart, and, it, and I'm not smart enough to figure this out. But I just felt the Lord said to me, Mark, if you will worry about the influence I'll take care of the rest. And it has changed my life. And Denny Highland and I talk about that all the time. First Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer for the hope and give that answer with such gentleness and meekness for the hope that I have in my heart. And I think it's, it behooves us Christ followers to figure out how we can influence people so they will ask the question, what makes you so different? And that's why I love telling my story about my Tyler dying or passing away. I mean, I don't obviously don't love this story, but that's why I don't mind telling this story. Because in that story, Dave, you know, I'm, I'm moving from a guy that knew Christ most of my life, but then I had to apply that and it became real. So all the things that I've read about heaven and him being my peace and my hope and my joy, I really had to apply that. And, um, and then I had to continue to move forward. And so, you know, when you're standing at a casket, and that was really the hard part for us when we'd been with him 24-7 for almost two years. And when we go into the funeral home and we see this little boy laid out by himself up there, that was really, really difficult. But we stood for, for hours on end while seven or eight hundred people came and, you know, right to the, to see him. And, you know, people crying and, and, and not knowing what to do, shuffling their feet, looking down. And here's Jen and I just loving on these people and, and, and caring and loving on these people and saying it's going to be okay. But you know where that comes from? Um, it comes from 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul said, I boast in my weakness. I'm going to own the thorn, basically, is what he said. I'm going to own it because when we are at our greatest weakness, God's power can be absolutely displayed in us. And I just think that's really cool. We need, you know, and if you go into that scripture in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that Paul uses the word, I was given a thorn. And that given word really refers to like a Christmas gift. Like I'm giving Denny Highland a Christmas, something that I want, that I desire. Do you know what I mean? And then he said, and I've, I've been mm -hmm. given that thorn, so I won't boast in my strength, but I can boast in Christ's power and strength. And that's really, so that's, that's how we, that's how we've tried to live our life, even though we lost our oldest boy. But at, at the, when, when people are coming up to see him, you know, and pay their respects to us, you could just see it in their eyes. And I know what they're saying. What if, what would I do if that was my child? Mm. 
And God just gave us a strength and a power to just hug and love on those people. And we've been able to go back to Children's Hospital and um, talk to the nurses. I've done memorial services and all that kind of stuff. But But at the end of the day, if we hadn't had hope and we hadn't had Christ in our life, there would have been no hope. Without hope, there's no joy. And without joy, there's no peace. And without peace, your life is a mess. And we, we, and a long time ago, we determined that we were not going to be defined by cancer. It just touched us. But we were going to be defined by Christ's love and the hope that He sets so deep down within our heart that's going to help make a difference in other people's lives. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. So, oh, absolutely. It absolutely does. So that's my story, a little bit of my story. But, but I, I, I want to add one other thing too that, um, and I think it really caps the whole story is so my Jordan was four years old when my Tyler passed away and um, and he participated we we had a discussion about how much a participation he would have at the funeral we took him there we wanted him to see Tyler laid out because we wanted him to see the life process we wanted him not just to be afraid of all of a sudden he's sick and he's gone but we wanted him to know the whole story that his that he's not there, but he's in heaven, and it's okay, and he's in a great place. So we wanted him to see that. But it was five years later. We're living in Harrison City, and we're going to Blockbuster to get a movie. And I think we were going to get Rocky 74. I forget what one was, or <laughs> Rambo 62 or something like that. But we were going to get a movie, and my my Jordan, and doesn't say much at all, but he was nine years old at the time, and... He looked at me and he just looked and he said, Dad, and he hadn't, again, he hadn't said much. He said, Dad, I really am missing Tyler today. And for me, it doesn't take much for me to cry. I'm crying at, you know, a Wheaties commercial. It's pathetic. But I, uh, I started tearing up pretty, pretty quickly. He goes, I just really miss him today, Dad. And I said, I miss him every day, honey. And he said, um, I don't know, Dad. I don't know why I'm saying that to you, but I just really miss him. He goes, and I would give anything to see him again. And I said, you'd give anything to see him again? He goes, I would give anything to see him again. I said, would you give your baseball glove? He said, I'd give my baseball glove. I said, would you give your... um, The other thing, I baseball glove and the other, or your bicycle. I said, would you give your bicycle? He goes, I'd give my bicycle. I said, would you give your PlayStation 2? And he said, maybe not my PlayStation 2. <laughs> but for me, at the time, it was perfect because I laughed. I come home and I told Jennifer through tears about that story. But here's the point, guys, is laughter is the beginning of healing. But the laughter came from such a such depth of my hope that I have inside my heart, even though we watched our little boy die and he died in my wife's arms. I am still able to laugh and still look at that situation and find some humorous stories out of that, some life-giving stories. And I told a, I told a group today, I have prayed and asked and asked why after 17 years about why did my Tyler die? And guess what I've gotten? I don't know. But in those moments, in those moments, I get a little glimpse into the purpose of why he's passed away when we're sharing with the when we're sharing with the Dianas of the world or I'm having a conversation with my son or I can tell my story to some grieving family that has just lost their 18-year-old in a car accident just like that they woke up one morning and boom he's gone by the end of the day I get a little glimpse 
of maybe the purpose for that. Do I want that story? Not really. Not at all. I'd rather have Tyler here. But my wife and I have decided to determine that our response will be one of hope and peace and joy. And, uh, and, and laughter is the beginning of all that. Mark, I, I just want to say your story has been truly inspirational today. It has been. It's an amazing story of, of fortitude and faith. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners today as a final thought to, to anyone who's listening to this podcast today? Yeah, I, you know, just don't give up, you know, and, and a part of obedience is and what and our moving forward, and it goes back to the scripture I talked about in Exodus chapter 14, and God is continuously telling Moses, he tells Moses, he said, Moses, tell your, tell your folks to move forward, to get up and move forward. So whatever situation you find yourself in, and it can be a really difficult situation, you're not alone, God is not apathetic, he's not quiet, he's not silent, and most of all, He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. And you just got to be obedient and something really easy. Just put one step in front of the other. One step in front of the other. You, you don't have to figure it out. It doesn't have to be complicated. Just make one step. Just take one step. And our moving forward was we had another little boy. And, and, he, and his name's Logan. And, and he's, he's more than joy to us. And that was our step forward. We were really, really nervous about that. But he's turned out to be every everything and more we could hope for. But just don't give up. Don't give up. Know that God is not untouched or He does not see or He does not hear your cries, your praying at night, your lonely place. He sees it all. And just get up and take one step forward. Mark, thank you very much for sharing today. Everyone at Testify truly appreciates it and you truly are an inspiration. Thank you for having us today. Thank you for listening today. I hope you were truly blessed. If you want more information about Testify It, please visit us at testifyit.com. That is T-E-S-T-I-F-Y-I-T dot com. Do you have a testimony to share? We would love to hear from you. Just go to testifyit.com and fill out the testimony form. You can find it at the bottom of any page on the site. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and truly want one, Call out to Him today. Decide to give over your life, surrendering it to Him, and choose to follow Him. He has already paid the price for your sins with His death on the cross. He was raised on the third day and will give you everlasting life with Him. You will be born again, and He will place His Holy Spirit within you. Until next time, remember you are loved by God and He deeply desires a relationship with you.